Coming up on this week's show, Avon Gale is here to talk about some whiskey business. Plus, we take a look back at the books we've read in 2016. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 64 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from JeffAdamsWrites.com. And I'm Will from WillKanaus.com. Welcome, sir. Welcome to all of our listeners to the final episode of 2016. Dun-dun-dun! No, not dun-dun-dun. It's... The only sound effect I have. Oh, okay. (laughs) Is that the only sound effect? Should I have gone ta-da? (laughs) Ta-da! Whoop the frickin' do! (laughs) I think that pretty much sums up 2016. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm fine. Having a uh, lovely Christmassy time. Uh, uh, By the way, to all of our listeners, we should mention, uh, we hope you all had a... A, uh, let's let me go through the list in my head. The Mer- a Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Kwanzaa, uh, Happy Hanukkah, uh, Merry Yule Solstice, and whatever else you may be celebrating. Hope you all had a lovely holiday week and weekend, spending it with the ones that you love. And uh, today, the day that this particular episode is going live, is Boxing Day. Ta-da! <laughs> there, I used my other sound effect in a better way. And you know, you know, Boxing Day has nothing to actually do with you know the sport of boxing. I know that. Yes. Yeah. Do you I think know what it, Boxing Day is? If I remember what I learned right, and I think I learned this on an episode of Mash. Actually, <laughs> I think I did. I'm sorry. Mash. I think it's on an episode of Mash. Okay. That Boxing Day is a day. Uh, in England, where typically the upper class and the, and the servants switch roles for a day. He's making a funny <laughs> face at me. <laughs> so what is Boxing Day? I don't know for certain. I, from, what, from what I understand, it is, of course, the very British idea of that after the day after Christmas, all the wealthy people take like their empty boxes... And, like, whatever gifts that they don't like and, and re-gift them to the servants. Okay, so I was... And they, and they box them up and give them to, you know, their servants or their, you know, colleagues or whatever. That's my understanding of it. All right. <laughs> it's probably completely wrong, but whatever. You're, you're... I'm looking it up on Wikipedia right now. <laughs> Just so that we can, for the benefit of our British listeners, not sound totally insane. Uh, competing theories for the origin. Uh, present or gratuity given at Christmas in Great Britain. Usually confined to gratuities given to those who are supposedly have a vague claim upon the... I don't even know what that means. That's... that's okay, let's just say I'm right. Let's How's just that? pretend that Will's right. <laughs> And our, our, our listeners over in the UK, tell us what it really means, and then we'll know for next episode. Because what was on Wikipedia was really too much to scan in okay. a in a in an easy to do fashion. So fill us in on your Christmas week. Christmas week, uh, did uh, got back to work writing on Winger Two. 
mm-hmm. uh, which I had put aside during Nano to work on our co-writing project. Yes, you did. Uh, I actually did a little bit of work on our co-writing project because as you were reviewing it, you made the astute observation that perhaps a prologue was in order. Mm-hmm. And so we plotted that prologue and I wrote the prologue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been doing some stuff this week to get Love's Opening Night also kind of prepped for its final push out the door. The blog tour started on the 21st. It has several stops uh, this week, which of course I didn't put into the notes in front of me. But you can go to uh, the show notes for this episode and I can link you to the uh, schedule for the for that blog tour that's happening where you will have the chance to win that book all over the place. Uh, I think I'm stopping nearly every day this week from the 26th on mm-hmm. uh, in preparation for the book to come out, which actually happens on Wednesday. Wednesday the... 28th. 28th. Yes. Just in, just in time for you to spend a little bit of that Christmas money that you got... And have a nice read to lead you into the new year. Fantastic. And we're giving it one way here on the show, too. There's a rafflecopter on this week's show notes as well, so that one listener could have the opportunity to come away with uh, a copy of the ebook. Mm, sounds good. Lots of fun. Fun, fun, fun. I happen to know that you wrote this particular uh, story for a submission call, but what was the um, in- inspiration? Uh, for the story itself. I did. The The call revolved around setting up a story where someone was crushing on a, on a celebrity who they got to meet finally and, and have a love story between someone who wasn't a celebrity and someone who was. And so I thought about, you know, temporarily setting it in a hockey setting with a sports superstar, but opted away from that to swing over to my other love, which is theater. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you and I met and fell in love in the- doing a theater project. Oh, yes, we did. Eons ago. So there was that aspect of it that I could make a play on. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting way to look at it. If you had somebody who was essentially in the ensemble of a show, not just falling for the leading man, but falling for somebody who was a star or a, a higher star. This isn't something like, you know, how Hugh Jackman or Jake Gyllenhaal show up on Broadway and do something. The the star in this case is someone who my ensemble player, his name's Jeremy, uh, fell in love, fell in crush with years ago while he saw this guy perform something at Shakespeare in the Park. And over time, he's followed his career, followed his career on TV when he's back in New York doing theater, and now he's suddenly in this show where Ty Beaumont is the star. And it was kind of a fun juxtaposition. So you had a little bit of workplace, you know, romance going on there and a little bit of showmance going on there and a little bit of like, you know, why does the, why would this, you know, so-called star want to fall in love with me, the chorus boy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just all kind of played together to make what I felt was kind of a nice, fun story of, of two people who were, didn't know they were looking for love, finding love, you know, at work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, also, there's that little bit of, you know, why would this guy who's had all this success, you know, want me who, while I have had success because he is, you know, Jeremy is a working actor and has been for a while. He's not, you know, he's not an above the title star guy either. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where all the inspiration kind of fell together. It started with a submission call and just went from there. Mm -hmm. Now, getting this down on paper, was there anything... Uh, you sp- you s- just spoke to some of the tropes that are involved in this particular story. Is there something that was you know more enjoyable about writing this particular 
uh, story? I had fun giving these guys a lot of show references to make. Uh-huh. Uh, st- stuffing in my own personal love of musical theater. Part of, part of their getting to know each other is talking about the roles that they most want to play. Whether they're right for them or not. Like, Ty wants... Would love to play Lola in Kinky Boots, even though he's not an African-American male. He still wants to play that role because he thinks it's awesome. Um, Jeremy runs down some of his own as well. Uh, they make jokes about showgirls, which, while not a, pl- a musical in its own Showgirls play, is not a joking matter. <laughs> while not, it's, <laughs> while not a, a musical of its own, certainly is, you know. It certainly should be. It certainly should be. That would be fun. I would go see that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that show people could make easy reference to. Uh, mm-hmm. So peppering those in and picking the right places to do it so that people who may not know the references wouldn't feel that they were out of place either. Okay. That you can read them and enjoy them and go, I don't know what that means, but that's fine. Yeah. It's kind of like when you write the hockey books. You know, you try to write them at the same time so people who don't know the game don't get bored if they're reading a game scene. Yeah, exactly. What is... Um, well, actually, No. Uh, is there a secret hidden Easter egg in this particular story? There is. Uh, for people who've read Dancing for Him, which is available free on my website on the homepage of jeffadamswrites.com if you haven't read it, uh, Nate, who is the lead character in Dancing for Him, uh, who is within that story a competitor on a show very similar to So You Think You Can Dance, uh, this includes him. He is also in the ensemble of this show. So you, for people who've read that book, you get a little catch up on Nate and what he's been up to since that book. Awesome. Certainly not Nate's story, but he does crop up in a couple scenes. Cool. Yeah. It, it was fun to do that too. All right. And now this book comes out on the 28th from Dream Spinner's Press. Yes. Love's opening night. Yep. Yeah, and I'll have links in the show notes to buy it uh, from Dream Spinner and from Amazon. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. So as 2016 comes to a close, I thought it would be nice to kind of give a year in review of some of the things that we have read in the past 12 months. Mm -hmm. Uh, What have you been up to? What have you been reading? So to go from a stats point of view, way back in January, I set up and laid a a goal to 40 books for this year. Mm -hmm. I am so close. <laughs> to those forty books, I'm currently reading book number thirty nine right now. Ooh. I am in progress on thirty nine. Cool. Am I going to make it through two books in the next seven days, six days? I don't know, but I'm at least going to come really close to the goal. Cool. Yeah. Very good. How was your? What were your stats like this year? Um, this year I read fifty eight books. Um, I think yes. Uh, this time last year. I also made a... I didn't make a hard and fast resolution to read a certain number of books. I had sort of a vague goal to read roughly one book a week. Okay. uh, Which, of course... So, obviously, you did better than that. So, with 58 books, I obviously did better than that original goal. Uh, I also wanted to um, read more fiction this year. Uh, going back to last year, uh, I was definitely reading more nonfiction, 
at the time. And looking back at the complete list of what I read in 2016, my stats are I read uh, out of the 58 books, 65% were fiction and 35% were nonfiction. Okay. Uh, those stats were basically flipped uh, last year. So I'm very glad that I succeed in that particular goal as well. Are you happy with the 65-35 split in terms of the fiction, nonfiction, or are you, are you? Would you hope for more than more closer to 50-50? No, I'm perfectly happy okay. with with awesome. what I read this past year. Thumbs up for me, man. Indeed, thumbs what, up for you. What were some of your favorite reads this past year? Uh, looking back across the the 38 books that I have read, <laughs> um, oh, you know, it's actually 39. It just occurred to me because I read somebody's beta. <gasps> Back in the spring, and I couldn't log that to Goodreads because it's not out. So yeah. I'm actually at 39, and I'm reading the 40th. You're, Yay! You're so awesome. Anyway, uh, the t- the the books that I that were at the top of my list that like, that stuck with me the most, I came up with five in looking back at the 40 that are ones that I have gone back and pondered in one way or the other mm-hmm. over the year, either because they were inspirational to my own writing or had something in them that kind of stuck with me for a while. Uh, So the first one there, and I'm doing this in the order in which I read them, so they're just not ranked in any other way. That's the order that I read them starting back in January. Mm -hmm. Uh, Us uh, by Serena Bowen and Elle Kennedy. Uh, I love how they've moved uh, this couple forward in this book from getting together in him and forming a more lasting bond in us and really showing some of the difficulties that, that Jamie and Wes had in, in being able to go forward with Wes becoming the superstar hockey player and Jamie kind of floundering, trying to find his way a little bit. It really dealt with some of those tropes around that really nicely with the the, the partner who does really, really well, and then the partner who's trying to figure it out and what his life's going to be while the, the superstar is doing his thing. Okay, what else um, do you recommend from this past year? Uh, Symptoms of Being Human uh, by Jeff Garvin. Mm-hmm. We had Jeff on uh, the show uh, back when, when this book came out, and I kind of found it. Uh, the fact that it dealt so succinctly with a genderqueer teen... Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't wait to see what Jeff comes up with next in 2017 because he's working on something to get out in, in sometime in 17. It just, of all the young adult books that I read, I was really impressed by this one with how it stuck so well. They gave, gave this character such a strong voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would be great to see more books of this ilk out there uh, to help teams kind, to kind of find their way and see themselves in books. So there's not, we're not just writing for gay kids and lesbian kids and more often now transgender young people, but anybody who kind of fits the spectrum, it's nice that they can hopefully find a book for them. Okay. What's up the stuff on your list? Let's break up my list a little bit. Talk a little bit about what kind of resonated with you a little bit this year. Um, I don't really have like a top five. I was looking back at my list from 2016 uh, and there were a couple of things that jumped out at me that um, for me were, you know, pretty memorable. The first, uh, is the series by Jordan, uh, Naser, Home is a Fire and the Fire Went Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really, really love those books. Um, I highly recommend them. We talked to Jordan in episode 16. Oh, look at you writing down the episode numbers when I failed to do so. Um, uh, <laughs> earlier this year. So I highly recommend you go back, 
into our backlist. Check out episode 16 with Jordan. Uh, it was a really great interview. I really love the uh, world he creates in this in these two books. Uh, plus, it's just a really fun, kooky story. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're really, really wonderful. Yeah. I like- I, I've seen Facebook posts from him that book three is is on the way. Hell yeah. No date yet, but it is on the way. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Jordan, get busy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, I want to recommend two sports romances. Uh, This past year, I read Double Full by Kendall Alexander and Tight End by Devin McCormick. Uh, Now, uh, those of you who know me, I am like the least sportsy person uh, there can possibly be. It's true. Uh, But I really enjoyed these two books. Uh, both have a football player as one of the heroes. And in both instances, uh, the couples have to fight really, really hard against some pretty um, big obstacles in order to get to their happily ever after. Uh, and I, those, those characters really stuck with me. So those two sports romances, Double Full and Tight End, were really excellent. And I still I recommended them back then uh, when I read them, and I still recommend them right now. Awesome. So speaking of sports, because, you know, I have to have an, at least one more sports in my in my category. Uh, the Long Season by Michael Vance Gurley, uh, which took the hockey romance and set it back in the in the roaring 20s uh, as the NHL was being formed. I was, I was captivated by the the historical look at what it was like potentially to be gay in Chicago in the middle 1920s. As well as then layering on the, the sports element, where you're you dealing with being closeted in this hypermasculine, uh, not just hypermasculine era. Of course, it's also the era of gangsters, but just inside this sport as well. Uh, it was a brilliant book. Um, Murmuration by T.J. Clune. <laughs> I mean, everybody kind of knows I went absolutely gaga for Murmuration. Uh, it still resonates with me how he was able to put together this amazing mystery with a love story, with a little sci-fi paranormal angle. Uh, I, I'd be shocked if that wasn't on, more, on, on several people's lists. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, as well as Rank uh, by Richard Compson Sater. I mean, I only finished that book a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, here's a debut novel that was just so expertly crafted and, and took a May-December love story and added so many awesome layers on top of it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Anything else on your resonated list? I also want to mention uh, Take Two by Shira Anthony. Um, It's basically a pretty sweet traditional contemporary romance, uh, and it really ticked a few uh, trope boxes for me, uh, second chances primarily. Uh, The story also takes place in uh, South Carolina, where they're filming a pirate movie, so there's sort of a Hollywood backdrop to that, uh, which I you know, was really into. And plus, I really uh, enjoyed the two heroes and their struggle to regain um, an understanding and the love that they had before, which I thought was uh, interesting. It's not a traditional cute meat kind of a mm-hmm. romance. It's actually, at the beginning of the story, the characters are actually uh, going through the beginning stages of divorce. Uh, and so they're kind of trying to find their way back to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. So I really, really enjoyed that story a whole, whole lot. I love Shuri Anthony, so I highly recommend Take Two. And also, uh, from the nonfiction side, I really, really love Cinerama. Uh, this is the updated 
version of a book that came out about a decade ago, and it is a chock full of 60s sleaze paperback goodness. Uh, I love this sort of stuff. It is my jam. Uh, this book is amazing, filled with beautiful, colorful reproductions of classic paper book covers. It also has really smart and insightful essays uh, about um, the uh, legal struggles uh, it took to get some of these books to market and then stuff about the different authors and the editors and uh, just just jam-packed with uh, lots of information. I highly recommend Cinerama if that's your, if that's your thing. Cool. Yeah. Now, we've also got uh, some favorites that were chimed in from our, our listeners, mm -hmm. which was part of the rafflecopter that was going on uh, to give away Rivals last week. Uh, Ellen liked T.J. Clean's Wolf Song. Heather called out Charlie Cochet's third series, which she read all seven of those in a week. You go, girl. <laughs> uh, and she also tagged Avon Gale's Power Play. And then Carissa came in with Night of Ocean Avenue by Tara Lane. So we'll link to all these books in the show notes, and if we've interviewed the authors, we'll link up to the uh, interviews that we did with them as well. Um, so I had this week the chance to listen to to, listen to, to interview Avon Gale, mm -hmm. which also involved listening to her, of course. <laughs> um, Avon, uh, who I've talked about quite a few times on the show recently because I've been reading her Scoring Chances series of hockey romances, uh, she was on the show briefly uh, several episodes ago because she was part of the group that worked on the Changing on the Fly anthology. Mm -hmm. This week, uh, she and I are sharing the December 28th release date. Uh, Whiskey Business is coming out from her, and it's a States of Love book from Dreamspinner Press. And we talked to her about that uh, upcoming book. So I'm pleased to welcome Avon Gale to the podcast today. Avon wrote her first story at the age of seven about a space hat hanging on a rack and waiting for that special person to come along and purchase it, even though it was a bit weirder than the other, more normal hats. Like all of Avon's characters, the space hat did get its happily ever after, though she's pretty sure it was with a unicorn. She likes to think of her vocabulary has improved since then, but the theme of quirky people waiting for their perfect match is still one of her favorites. Welcome, Avon. Hi, thank you. Very excited to have you here to talk about your States of Love entry, Whiskey Business, yes. uh, which I totally loved. Uh, I was glad to be able to get an advanced copy to check it out. Tell us a little bit about the story and why you chose Kentucky to set your States of Love story. Sure. Um, so when the call for that uh, kind of project or line or whatever came out from Dream Spinner, it was, I think it was like last January, and I had just been to Kentucky for Christmas. Um, I grew up and moved around a lot. We lived like 17 different states when I was um, going through school. And um, But Kentucky is my home state, as in like my family's from there. And every time we would go back for like holidays, Christmas or summers, we always went there. So even though I've lived here in Missouri for like 20 years at this point, um, I always think of Kentucky as home. So when I saw that I could write, you know, when the whole like line was announced, I was immediately, I was like, oh, I'm going to write this about Kentucky. Um, just because it, it's kind of the place I think of and as close as I have, I guess, you know, my old Kentucky home. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot going on in Kentucky. I mean, even in the, the notes in the story itself, you talk about, obviously, the fanatical world of the Kentucky Wildcats. <laughs> yeah. How did you pick the bourbon business to set the story in? Well, um, when I was there last year over the holidays, my dad lives in Lexington, and my mom lives in a small town, which is not in the same geographical location. It's in northern Kentucky, but a little bit of Gallows Grove was kind of based on that. 
Um, there's no pun businesses, so as far as I know, but um, it's a very, very small town. So I had the kind of um, the idea in my head. But when I went there last year, we toured a couple, my husband and I toured a couple of the uh, distilleries. And so we were at Woodford. And I was, of course, when I'm standing there, I'm thinking like, oh, my God, I want to write a story about something about the bourbon industry. Um, so when I, again, when I decided I was going to write Kentucky, for some reason, it was just like the thing that popped into my brain as being um, what I wanted to write about. Mm -hmm. Also, I like bourbon. <laughs> well, that, and that helps, I guess, right? <laughs> it does. Did you have to learn a lot about how it was made? Because, I mean, there are points in the book where you go fairly, I, I wouldn't say, you know, tremendously in-depth. I can't go off and make bourbon after reading it. But you get a good <laughs> feel for the still in that, or was the visit enough? The visit was really helpful, especially because um, I, I remember very vividly what everything looked like. And, I mean, I guess I just, like, secondhand knowledge picked up how to make you know, like the, the bourbon process. My husband does homebrew, um, and he's also like a walking encyclopedia. So if I had, I would ask him a question and be like, hey, what is that thing? And he would like know it immediately. Um, but I did have a really strong memory of going through and having, because we went on the tours at like Woodford and Buffalo Trace. Um, so I learned a lot of really cool stuff on that. And then there was a couple of times I had to like look up like on the internet and be like, wait a minute, what was the name of that? And I also went to a couple of bourbon websites and like did some reading to make sure I was familiar with stuff that I needed to know. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's drill down a little bit. Tell, tell people what's at stake and who's involved in the whiskey business. Okay. So the story is about, um, writer waits who is a um, small town guy. Uh, he's kind of in charge of his family's distillery in this town called Gallows Grove, Kentucky, um, that was founded by bootleggers. And his he's really, really into the idea of getting Gallows Grove on the bourbon trail because it would help with tourism. Um, so he sells the like intellectual property rights to his family's whiskey, which is called Hanged Man, um, to a large kind of bourbon conglomerate, which is fictional. Um, called Bluegrass Bourbon in Lexington. And what he basically wants is for them to come down and kind of like give them improvements to the still so that they can keep manufacturing the bourbon um, and then hopefully get on the bourbon tour. But unbeknownst to him, they have to send a company liaison named Adam Keller. And he's kind of stuffy. He's from Lexington. And he's sort of the opposite of writer and like personality and everything. And he comes down to do some initial... Um, I guess, appraisals of what the company needs to do. And so they don't exactly hit it off right away, but of course they end up hitting it off and fall in love. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like the, the mix looking at the town for a little bit in the setup. I like the mix of, of the fictional and the real that you've got going on here. How did you decide where to draw your lines? So there's a lot in this that is um, like names and things that I drew from like my own family and history and stuff, but the story, so when I got this thing from, um, when I saw the call out, I sat down, and, and the way you did it was, Dream Spinner's like, if you'd like to reserve a state, write up a proposal, email us, claim your state, you know, tell us what you want to write about and when you might be able to get it in, and at the time, I was still working at the salon, and I had to go, um, so I had to leave, so I did it kind of quickly, like, I sort of knew what I wanted to write about, and I was trying to come up with names um, for the main characters, and my, my cousin, she's going to be thrilled if I I ever tell her this, was pregnant at the time of twins, and one of the names she likes was Ryder. And I thought, well, that'd be a great name. And so then I kept thinking, like, okay, well, what can go with Ryder as a last name? 
And um, I was thinking about a Tom Waits song that references um, the city of Covington. And Covington, Kentucky is in northern Kentucky and is kind of in the area where my family's from. So I was like, Waits? Ryder Waits? That sounds great. And so I get done and I send my thing off and I'm like in the middle of doing a blowout at the salon. And I realize the reason why Ryder Waits sound good is that it's a tarot card deck. <laughs> and I thought, well... I can either go with this or like just change it because I'm sure they wouldn't have been like, no, you can't change your character's name. But then, you know, when you get a character and he has a name or that she has a name, like if, they, if that's their name, that's their name mm -hmm. and there's no changing their mind. Um, so that's what happened with Ryder. So when I, I kind of thought, all right, I'm going to have to own the tarot card deck thing. And so when I thought like, OK, how can I sort of like carry that theme? I started looking at um, my tarot. I do read tarot. And I saw Hanged Man, and I was like, oh, that would be a perfect name for the brewery, or the brewery, the distillery. And then from there, I kind of like went, oh, it could be like the town could be like bootleggers, and it could be named after. And so that's sort of how it ended up with the kind of like bizarrely macabre history and the tarot card name is it all kind of came from me not realizing that I, Rider Waits, is familiar because it's a tarot deck. <laughs> um, and then Keller is my stepmother's maiden name and she's lexington born and bred obviously she has nothing to do with like the like horse farms there but um keeneland is the kind of big horse farm in lexington so i liked that the k name was the same um yeah and that's pretty much kind of how i ended up coming up with that um there's some other things like my cousin's last name i used that one of the towns um i used my mom's maiden name for the uh, name of that. So just kind of stuff, you know, that I already had in the family history, trying to make it as authentic, I guess, as possible. But most of the things, all everything about Gallows Grove is fictional, but I did find, like, where it could be located. And, like, where I looked up, like, how far away a motel was from this kind of, like, fictional area um, on the river. So I wanted it to be, you know, like, as understandably, like, logical, even though it's totally made up. And I like how you said it near... And I'm blanking, of course, on the on the mineral. But you ended up and put it near where that that certain mineral is that, at least in your story, oh, you know, affects the water. Yeah, yeah, that I, and that was a funny, happy accident because I put I wanted some place that was close enough to Lexington where like Adam could be driving back and forth, and, you know, and it wasn't like I don't know if you've ever watched the show Justified, but um, I watched that show, and like the way they have you think you would think that Harlan County and Lexington is like twenty minutes apart from each other, and it's totally not. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make my location close enough to Lexington that it would be drivable, um, and. I, so I wanted it to be in that certain area, which is Elliott County. And Kentucky is very much like people will tell you, if you're like, where, where are you from? They'll tell you the name of the county. Um, and so when I looked up Elliott County, I kept thinking like, okay, well, I need some reason for that um, bourbon that can't be moved from that location. And I just happened upon the Kimberlite thing. And obviously it's totally fictional whether or not it may not even make a difference, but I just decided to pretend that it did. <laughs> sure. I mean, and you hear all the time about how minerals affect the the taste of things, you know, so. Oh yeah, it, that is, as it, I think I mentioned in the book, that is what makes Kentucky bourbon so distinctive. And it's the reason you have um, a lot of horse farms and bourbon distilleries in the same area is this concentration of limestone in that part of Kentucky. And the li the water has a lot of calcium. So it's really good for horses and bones. And then it's also really good for bourbon. So that's kind of why you find the two of them so closely connected in like the Woodford um, distillery is like right across from a horse farm. So they're very like, that's the reason why. So I, I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. I like that. I, there's a nice bit of, of 
quirkiness in the book too. Like it, it struck me as having a feel somewhere between like Twin Peaks and Six Feet Under. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> That's great. Uh, I love the Gallows Grove business names, for example, which you, you kind of referenced a moment ago that we you know, were basically all pun based. Yes. <laughs> did My you just have a ball with that or did it get to be a challenge after a while? I did have a ball with it. And there were so, people gave me so many good ones. Like a lot of them I came up with like the trap door and the last meal diner and the rusty nail. I had all those, but I was trying to come up with one for the um, laundry, like the laundry uh, laundromat. And that one was um, Facebook. I just posted on there. I'm like, hey, can anybody come up with something? And I got so many really good ones that I couldn't decide between the perfect crime and suds and death. So I kind of tried to work them both in there because that cracked me up. But yeah, my best friend came up with Wanted Bread or Alive and Bread Man Walking, I think, was another one. So it was just even like more that I could not possibly even get to use. But in my dream world, all businesses would have pun names. So I was pretty happy about that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was fun. And the thing is, that's the funniest is when I was finished, the story had like three different names. Um, and I was originally going to call it, so there's the portion of bourbon when you, in the bourbon making process where some evaporates from the bottle or from the barrel. And they call that the angel share because it kind of like evaporates into the mist, you know, up into the air and it's the angels are, I guess, you know, hanging out, having some bourbon flavored mist, who knows? But then, so I was going to call it that. I'm like, well, that doesn't really make sense in a town like with this, all these names. So then I thought about the devil's cut, which would be what was left. But then someone was like, oh, there's a, um, a Jack Daniels, like, version, like, type of bourbon called the Devil's Cut. I'm like, well, I cannot name it after Tennessee whiskey. No. Right. So whiskey business, which, of course, is a pun, it, li it literally took me, like, 35 minutes to come up with that. I kept going, like, what's a pun that would have something to do with whiskey and then, like, you know, something being kind of, like, risky and then business? Like, it was ridiculous how long <laughs> come up with that it's because your brain had worked so hard on the puns for the businesses that for that last one it just took a minute and I, and I did too I had to like I'm really um Piper Vaughn is a really good friend of mine and I had to email her because she has a story called prickly business and I was like hey do you mind you know can I use this title is it too close to yours and she was like what are you talking about yeah that's perfect so but yeah it did take me a while to come up with that one did you learn anything unexpected about your home state while you were working on this I didn't know the thing about the Kimberlite. I had, I had never known that. Um, so that was something different that I didn't know about. Um, I think I learned a little bit about when I was researching, like, prohibition laws. or But that was definitely, like, the one thing that I, I had no clue. Um, and so I never really, like, my dad's from Lexington. Or I was born in Lexington, but I never really lived there. So it's kind of strange to have, like, this connection to a town you've never actually lived in. You just visit it all the time. Um, but so I got to look up like names of like places people would go and, um, th this is super rambly, sorry, but definitely the thing about the Kimberlite was the thing that was the most surprising thing I learned. And of course, a lot of people, a lot of authors, you know, always talk about how their characters lead them in interesting directions. Yeah. Did, did free spirit writer or, or stuffy Adam take you in a place you didn't think they were going to go? Adam kept saying really stupid things that I would be like, oh, don't say that. <laughs> but they do that to me all the time, like every character. Um, since I'm kind of a pantser, they've gotten a little bit better. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit... Um, I, I didn't realize they'd end up living... I don't want to spoil the book, but like where they end up living. I didn't realize that would happen, and that kind of just came up upon me at the end. I was like, oh, all right, that's pretty cool. But yeah, they were a little, um, they were a little more snarly at first than, than I would have thought. 
Yeah, I, I was surprised about where they ended up living too. <laughs> we may have to talk more about that. And I mean, I just know No, absolutely not. We may have to talk about that after we let the podcast audience go from our chat. Yes. Because <laughs> that's definitely well, an issue. next to my grandmother's house, and this is going to sound like really like, what? But my grandma used to, it was like next door to her house, and she would go over there sometimes to like watch the phones in case something happened. And this is a town of like 1,500 people, so the phone never rang, right? But like, I just remember going over there with her as a kid, and it was a big white Victorian house, and just sitting there and being like, I'm afraid to go. I was like afraid to go in the kitchen and get a Coke because I don't know what I thought would happen. But Well, especially when you're a kid, you're like, this. I yeah. shouldn't be just in here hanging out, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, moving a little past whiskey business, what's coming up for you in 2017? Um, a lot of things, actually. I'm super busy with lots of stuff. Um, the next uh, Scoring Chances book should be out probably in the summer. Uh, and it's called Coach's Challenge, and it bumps forward to um, the Asheville Ravens. So there'll be two books about the um, the Ravens, and I just started working on the sixth one. Um, so that's that is going on. That gives me time. I, I've just finished book two relatively recently. Uh, we, yeah. We just reviewed that in the podcast last week. So okay, I need to I, I need to charge forward and catch up before you put the next one out. Yes, you should have a while. It won't be out until, I think summer is probably the earliest. And then I'm trying to get the next one done so that the fifth and the sixth one come out around the same, the kind of the same way that the third one and the fourth one did. Um, so hopefully I'll get that one um, out of the door pretty soon. Um, Piper Vaughn and I are writing a hockey series, of uh, which I realized we called it Hat Trick. And I was like, you also have a book called Hat Trick. And isn't that the thing about writing hockey romance? I feel like we all have to use the same titles. <laughs> Yeah, right around the same time I released Hat Trick 1 in 2013, there was another book that came out, like, right at the same time within maybe a month, also called Hat Trick, under another publisher. Uh, so welcome to the family. <laughs> Thank you. Ours will be with Riptide, um, and we are hoping to do the, uh, we have the three books set, and then we're hoping to do, like, another three book series um, set on the Western Conference. Um, but that's kind of a not we, we haven't really plotted those yet. But um, we sh I'm hoping that the first one on that one will come out in 2017. Um, awesome. I hope so. That one's about a sociology a Puerto Rican sociology professor who um, meets a professional NHL player in one of his summer classes, and so they that's kind of that one. Um, and it, we're writing that one right now, so it's it's pretty fun. And I'm writing a um, series with Rome Parish about a FBI agent who works in the art crimes department and meets this um, very eccentric, wealthy philanthropist who is also an art thief. <laughs> and that's a serial that we're going to be self-publishing, so that one should be pretty fun. Wow, you've got a lot on your docket for 2017. I do, and I have... I do, it's really ridiculous. Like, I, I didn't realize, like, being a, like a full-time writer, you have to plan for things to come out, like, like years in advance almost, it feels like, at this point, so... Um, I've been trying to like put together a calendar and now I'm thinking like, Oh, 2018, what am I going to do? I mean, it's kind of just how I have, you have to think that far ahead, but, um, I do have a book that's an FF, uh, rock star or rock singer. I don't know that I would say rock star romance, but it's like a musician romance that's coming out in September. Mm -hmm. Very cool. We're look I'm looking forward to so much of that stuff. Yay. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, 
So let's talk hockey for a second. How are you feeling about the NHL season so far? I mean, <laughs> I just like the the Bruins. I don't even know. I was just checking the score update and like sighing sadly because I don't ever know what to do with them. Um, I love hockey. I enjoy watching it. Uh, sometimes I get really nervous during games. Like I always get super nervous during Boston Montreal games, and I have lots of opinions about. Boston season this year, but um, I'm just so happy to see them again. But right now they're losing three nothing to the Islanders, so I'm not super happy. <laughs> but um, it's been a pretty good season so far. I really enjoyed that story about Austin Matthews. I thought that was really neat. And uh, yeah. there's a guy tonight. Piper texted me about him. That's um, making his NHL debut, and he's 30. And I think that's awesome. I saw that so, story today too. It was like hope for the older guys. Yes, I know. I'm like, oh god, when is thirty considered old? Like, I'm like ancient then, but in hockey years, I guess. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm mostly okay with the season. I uh, it could be going better for the Bruins, but hopefully they'll they'll turn it around. Well, I don't think your Bruins are doing as bad as my Red Wings. So, <laughs> yeah, and and the Blues, who's my other team, because I live in Missouri. You know, they they seem to be doing pretty good. Um, they made some bizarre, like, changes to the team last season that I was like, I don't know what's going on. But, yeah, I know it's sometimes you're just like, you know, this is just not going to be our year. And, um, God, I'd love to be wrong, but that's kind of what I'm calling for the Bruins. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of there, too, for the Red Wings. I think they're going to break their, their streak of getting into the playoffs at the rate they're going. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, then we'll be able to watch hockey stress-free. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, the, the 30-year-old guy made me think of uh, Jared from Breakaway. Yay. Maybe he could still have his chance to get in the NHL. Yes, you could still do it, Jared. Yeah, the character in the fifth scoring changes book, it's called Coach's Challenge. Um, it's about the a coach of the team and this um, a veteran player that was like an NHL prospect. Um, he played in the NHL and he was supposed to be really good, but he never quite lived up to his potential and played mostly in the AHL. And then he signs for his last year with an ECHL team. So it's kind of coach player, um, but he's 36. So these are the two oldest characters I've written in the series, and it was really nice to do that because <laughs> I'm 39. So I think Troy's like 46 or 47, and then Shane's like 36. So it was kind of nice to give the the you know older guys some love, and I mean that older as I'm the same age. So <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward yeah. to that. So what's the best way for people to keep up with you online? Uh, Twitter, unless you don't. I mean, I sort of yell a lot about hockey on there, um, but I do like Twitter a lot. So that's usually the Easiest way to catch up with me, it's Avon Gale Writes. Um, and I do have a Facebook, I have a Facebook group, which is called Bourbon and Candy. And um, yeah, I'm also, I feel like there's something that I'm totally missing on like Instagram, but mostly that's just pictures of my cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will link up to all those and I'll have to get into your uh, Facebook group because I don't think I'm a member of that. Yes, and, of course, we'll link people to uh, Whiskey Business as well, which I will uh, give the review of. At, at, right after this interview. Yay, thank you. I'm so glad you liked it, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being with us, and best of luck with Whiskey Business. Thanks. You have a happy holidays. The new adult hockey romance, Rivals, by Jeff Adams, is now available in audiobook as performed by Derek McLean. Mitchell Turner and Alex Goodman squared off on the ice throughout high school. Their rivalry was tough on Mitchell because he harbored a huge crush on Alex. With high school and college behind them, they meet unexpectedly on Thanksgiving Day, once again on the ice. Mitchell is thrilled to see his one-time adversary all grown up. With their rivalry in the past, could this be the start of something magical for the holidays and beyond?
Written by Jeff Adams and performed by Derek McLean, Rivals is available at Amazon.com, Audible, and iTunes. Also available in ebook. Get your copy today. Now, you mentioned you have a review of Whiskey Business. I do. Uh, you could tell from the interview that I really like this book. Uh, and it's, it's fun and different from some of our hockey romances. Um, Ryder and Adam, their evolution from really sparring with each other, because, of course, Ryder really needs to get the business sold and to really make sure that this stuff, this business stays in Gallows Grove. Whereas Adam is just there to tick the boxes and yes, this is good. This is good. This is good. No, this is bad. Uh, as he kind of prepares his report to send back to corporate headquarters. But over time, their sparring against each other turns into more flirty sparring, turns into, I think we're just going to fall into bed with each other <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, so the, the, their evolution from from sparring over business to really kind of getting to know each other and, and falling for each other is just so well done. Gallows Grove in itself is kind of a quirky character here in the same way that you could look at uh, the towns and TV shows like Twin Peaks or mm -hmm. Picket Fences or uh, Northern Exposure, how those towns really worked into those stories. And Avon has set up such a beautiful place here with this weird, slightly off-kilter place with all these puns for business names and, you know, hanged man bourbon in a place called Gallows Grove. It's just, it's a little morbidly fun uh, in the whole thing. Uh, but it really all comes back to Adam and Ryder being such a good, good set of characters. Um, once they like each other, the whole idea of the long-distance romance plays into it. And, you know, is Adam just going to do his job and recommend without really recommending what's best for the town or it's all, it's all a good book. It reminds me of a Hallmark movie. In this case, it's all about save the town, save the bourbon distillery uh, with a really nice romance laid over the top of it. Cool. So can't recommend that highly enough. Okay. And that comes out on the 28th. Yes. Uh, from Dream Spitter Press. And there'll be of course links in the show notes. Cool. Um, I've also been through a couple of new adult novels by Brent Hartinger. Uh, the Thing I Didn't Know I Didn't Know and Barefoot in the City of Broken Dreams. These are the first two books in the Russell Middle book, Futon Years, as they're called. Now, Russell, many of you may remember, uh, was first debuted back in 2004 in the Geography Club. Uh, and from there, there were five books in that young adult series. Mm -hmm. And in 2014, Russell made the jump into new adult being out of college. Uh, I've had the first book on my Kindle for a while, and I hadn't read it. And then uh, I started brushing up on Russell because we're actually going to have Brent on the show uh, early in the year when the fourth book in this series comes out. Uh, so the thing I didn't know, I didn't know. We get Russell right out of, he's newly out of college, and he's doing that drifty young 20s thing where he doesn't quite know what he's doing. He's working as a lifeguard. He's working at a custom bread bakery place, which I assume is a real thing in Seattle, where you can go in and custom bake your own bread. Uh, he's not real thrilled with what he's doing. He's watching his best friend seemingly, you know, on a track because his best friend Gunnar has made a small fortune with an app that he developed and sold, and his friend Min is in grad school, and he feels all drifty. Uh, but he ends up and saves the life of this uh, older woman who turns out to be a former Hollywood screenwriter. And she kind of recaptures his love of cinema and of potentially screenwriting 
So he's going to be a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Which leads us into Barefoot in the City of Broken Dreams. Okay. Uh, where he moves to L.A. to try to become a screenwriter. Okay. And gets mixed up with a, a very elderly, kind of not all there producer who may or may not produce his upcoming screenplay. Uh, the thing that blends through these two books is that in in the first book, he reconnects with his high school love, Kevin. Uh, who was his first love and probably his, his, his the love? Uh, they make a reconnection in the first book, and then in uh, the second book, they actually move to LA together. And that drifts us into the road to amazing, which is that book number thirty nine that I'm in right now, <laughs> uh, where they're actually going to get married. Okay, uh, it was a delight to revisit Russell, um, and I can't wait to see where books three and four go catching up with all of his friends and everything. Um, this was a lot of fun because I loved the Geography Club books as I used to know them. And now, they're, of course, they're known as the Russell Middlebrook series. But uh, big thumbs up on that. I think you should visit these because you also liked Geography Club a lot back in the day, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good good stuff. So, yeah, I'm glad to see that that series is continuing. Yeah. Cool. Very much so. So, so good books there. They'll all have links in the show notes. And uh, looking forward to talking to Brent in a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Something to look forward to in 2017. Yeah. I think that'll bring us to a close for 2016. What do you say? I think it does. We can kind of bring the curtain down on that. And curtain. Okay. (laughs) Coming up in episode 65, we'll be ringing in the new year with some more looking back at this year, plus goals for 2017. That's right. We're going to be doing a lot of talking this week about 2017 and what it means. (sighs) Yeah. Notice we didn't say resolutions. Their goals. Yes. Very different. Very, very different. It's a very different mindset to have goals rather than resolutions. Exactly. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit next week, too. Okay. All right. Sounds like a plan. Well, have a good holiday week. Hopefully, you get to have a peaceful week between uh, the holidays and New Year's, and we'll see you back here next week. Okay. Keep reading, guys. We'll see you next time. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.